Mum had been going on about Italian food, Italian light, Italian men and Italian shoes for so long that her excitement was infectious. In Genoa there were men pinching her bottom and whispering, Ciao, bella. Mum flushed with delight as she peeled off loads of lira, big sheet-like banknotes, to pay for a genuine plate of pasta al pesto among the sailors and prostitutes of the country's biggest port. As introductions to vice go, it was pretty okay. We devoured little volcanoes of impossibly flavorful parmesan atop the oily, misshapen trophier, and then we walked around the streets, eating gelato. I will never forget that meal. As far as I was concerned, Italy was heaven. In particular, the Italian teens looked so slick that they expanded my fashion references beyond the weekly gypsy road market at home. I was thrilled to see Paul and Barbara again. Although I barely remembered them, I remembered the feeling of them. Safety and plenty. I was used to our cramped quarters, so the double-height living room, the TV room and the bar seemed majestic, like something out of a film. Their huge fridge was full of the most delicious things to eat, and everything revolved around food. Jonathan and I spent hours building dens in the garden and hanging out. The summer when I was fourteen, Mum and I both worked for a month at a camp in the Pyrenees. She taught English and I was a sports prefect and general dog's body. It was my first job. With our pesetas jingling in our pockets, we then travelled to Italy to visit Paul and Barbara again. They were in Rome now, and I birthed a strong affection for that lovely mysterious city where the past erupts out of the ground on every street corner. Barbara would make pasta alle noci or alla salvia. My mum would try to grow tomatoes in their garden while I shared Gionti's motorino and hung out at the pool and the tennis courts with his friends. Every few days, Paul would pile us into his giant cream-coloured Mercedes-Benz and drive us off to some leafy candlelit garden restaurant along the Via Cassia. In the cool of the Roman evening, we would eat wonderful antipasti and inevitably finish up with frutti di bosco. Those are the best memories I have of growing up. The most carefree, the most innocent, a whole sea's width away from the bullies at school. That year my mum finally tired of the commute and took the monumental decision of moving to the city. Juan did not move with us, but I didn't miss him too much. We had never been close, although he had always been perfectly kind to me. My mum found an apartment, the fourteenth one I had lived in since my birth, a rate of about one per year. This apartment was a whole new kind of tiny, only about forty square metres, and perched on the flat roof of an uptown Barcelona block. The building belonged to a widowed marchioness who had built herself a fabulous sky garden floating seven stories above the road. She had a cloistered patio as well as a lawn and proper-sized trees, including cypresses. Just off this garden and separated by a high wall was the terrado, a flat red-tiled roof for drying the wash. The Marquesa's defunct husband had built himself a chic shack on the roof, 
a miniature artist's studio with tall panelled windows and a sheltered patio. The two small rooms were converted into bed living rooms, one for me and one for my mum, and we slept on sofa beds. Each room had a quirky fireplace, as there was no heating or air conditioning. All my schoolmates lived in sprawling suburban houses or the fashionable luxurious high-rises that contractors were throwing up overnight in the boom brought on by the still fragile democracy. Our new home was, well, different. My mum was determined to get herself a new life. She sold the bicycle, shook off the beach blues, started going to the opera wearing makeup and buying better clothes, even some for me. Occasionally she would buy British Vogue as foreign magazines, films and books.